0: person with ADD or ADHD enjoy, usually enjoys novelty. It's one of the things that does make them creative and fun to be around because they're up for trying new things. They're looking for stimulation, things that are stimulating to them. You're listening to love and libido with
1: me, your host, Dr. Emily Jamia. The goal of this podcast is to educate and inspire. My hope is that you will learn tools to create connection and cultivate passion, both within yourself and in your relationships. Here's what's coming up on today's episode. Are you or your partner one of the many people who find it really hard to focus during sex? Have you ever wondered whether you might have ADHD? Do you have ADHD and struggle to maintain healthy relationships and satisfying sexual experiences? Then you need to listen to today's episode. My guest and I are going to do a deep dive into the effect of ADHD on sex and love. ADHD can have a lot of symptoms and can present differently for different people. Whether you have a formal diagnosis or not, you'll learn tips that will help improve your relationship, keep you focused, experience pleasure, and deepen intimacy. Let's get started. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for joining me today. I am thrilled to have today's guest on, Dr. Stephanie Bueller. She is someone who I have known through our professional organization, ASEC, for many, many years. And She is so knowledgeable about so many things, and it was really hard to narrow down our topic for today, Um, but I think we finally did, and we are gonna be talking all about ADHD and its effect on relationships and sex. Um, Before we get to all of that, because there is a lot to discuss, let me introduce our guest. So, Dr. Stephanie Bueller is a licensed psychologist and ASEC certified sex therapist and supervisor. She is director of the Bueller Institute and created the and creator of LearnSexTherapy.com, which provides continuing education in sex and relationship therapy for psychotherapists and wellness providers. Dr. Bueller specializes in sexuality and chronic illness and cancer, sexual pain disorders, and sexuality and mental health. Dr. Bueller is the author of several books, including a best-selling textbook, What Every Mental Health Professional Needs to Know About Sex. Dr. Bueller has spoken to professional audiences all over the U.S. and around the globe, and is frequently quoted in the media. Most recently, in the Atlantic, Men's Health, and Business Insider.
0: Dr. Bueller, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me on on your podcast. I really do appreciate it, and I'm excited about the topic that we're going to talk about today.
1: I know so. Before we dive in, because there is a lot to discuss about today's topic, can you tell me a little bit about your backstory and how you got into the field of sexuality and mental health?
0: You know, when I think back, I was always interested in sex. <laughs> I really was. It was yeah. something that you know I noticed uh, in you know how people interacted, and you know just the vibe that people gave out around sex. It was always like somebody that was kind of curious about it. And then uh, when, but when I went to school to get my doctorate, it wasn't a thing, you know, to study sexuality. Uh, And and yet I, I thought to myself, there's a lot going on that I'm not talking to people about that has to do with their sexuality. And so when I got out of school, I had this sort of idea in my head that Maybe that would be something that I would look into. Uh, Fortunately, an endocrinologist that I knew asked me if I would join her in creating a wellness center. And endocrinologists test hormones. People are always coming in and saying, I don't have any drive. Please test my hormones what she told me is it's hardly ever somebody's hormones. It's usually something else going on their relationship or you know, some, some way that they're thinking about their sexuality. So if you learn sex therapy, I'll be able to refer people to you. And I thought, okay, it's a sign I'm supposed to do this. And, and the, you know, the rest is history, as they say.
1: Yeah, I love that. And it's so true. I think people are so quick to want to blame their hormones for everything. And as you and I both know, that is very rarely the case. If there was a magic pill, whoever invented that pill would be sailing on a yacht somewhere in the Mediterranean, I think, because it it just doesn't exist. Sexuality is so complex. And I'm with you. I think when we start asking people about their sexuality, we learn so much about them. It's like a window into their psyche into their mental health into their relationship health and um you know now it's become a more popular area of study to focus on but I imagine back when you started getting into it and even when I started getting into it I mean when I started in Houston I was one of like three third certified therapists in a city of you know four and a half million people so it's important yes Yes, very much. So, so as I said, at the beginning, it was hard to narrow down a topic because you are so knowledgeable and I'll never forget. You wrote a book called, I think it was called sex, love, and mental health, right? Well, it's actually sex, love, and mental illness. Sex, love, and mental illness. And I'll never forget, I had a copy of it sitting on my desk, and I had a client who was one of those guys who was just a man of few words, but when he did say something, you really had to pay attention because it was usually profound. So you had your book, Sex, Love, and Mental Illness, sitting on my desk, and he walked by and he looked at it and he said, it does happen in that order, doesn't it? (laughs) So we all had (laughs) And I just loved that. That story will always stand out to me. And so I thought that was funny, but our mental health does affect our sexuality profoundly. And I finally, after looking through everything you sent me, decided I wanted to zero in on ADHD because I think it's so widely diagnosed now. It's something a lot of people struggle with. And a lot of people maybe who don't even have a formal ADHD diagnosis struggle to focus during sex. Um, So I want to hear from you just generally, what is ADHD? What are some of its defining features and how can it present differently in different people?
0: Right. Well, so first of all, one of the things I want to say is You know, these days I keep hearing the word monolith. You know, this this group of people is not a monolith. And ADHD is definitely not a monolithic diagnosis because there are two flavors. So there's ADHD that's an inattentive type. And then there's an ADHD that's um, more like a hyperactive type. One is uh, characterized by kind of like, Losing focus, daydreaming, um, losing things, uh, having difficulty keeping appointments, staying organized, staying on top of things, uh, you know, just kind of a lot of disorganization. Um, there can be social things that go on, too. Sometimes people with ADHD have a hard time reading social cues and don't know how to, like, jump into a conversation or something like that. You know, there can be some social things going on. And then there's a, a type that's like the fidgety type, you know, the like always on the go, um, has, a, has a impulse control problems. Uh, you know, they're the ones... You know, I was a teacher for 10 years. <laughs> so I think about that kid who was always like up out of their seat and, you know, moving around the room and the teacher's like, sit down, sit down, or stop talking, stop talking. Um, boys get diagnosed with that more often, but I think it gets missed in girls uh, or women. Women tend to be very like talkative. That's how their sort of hyperactivity and impulsivity shows up, very talkative. Uh, and on the other hand, girls tend to get diagnosed more with the inattentive type, the daydreamy type. But certainly, there are lots of guys who are kind of, you know,
1: the absent-minded kind of like professor, yeah. and, you know, yeah. can't
0: focus on their work and can't concentrate. So that's ADHD. Yeah, and then there are people
1: who have elements of both, yes. <laughs> which is a lot of fun, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So. There's a lot of overlap between ADHD symptoms and anxiety disorders. So can you talk, if someone is hearing some of these symptoms and thinking, oh my gosh, like I do that sometimes, how, how would they know if maybe, well, I know they obviously need to go for a formal evaluation, but what might lead them to suspect that they might have ADHD versus like an anxiety
0: problem? Uh, I think ADHD, and, well, here's what I think. I think anxiety uh, often shows up. I mean, certainly you can have the kind of uh, racy thoughts and uh, even irrational thoughts, you know, worry, worry, worry all the time. But I think there are a lot of um, physical symptoms that go along with anxiety and they can be all kinds of interesting things. I mean, things that would don't, like I had a nervous cough. (laughs) during mm. COVID I didn't realize oh that cough was like a nervous cough that was my anxiety because there's no reason for it right or yeah. you could have you know uh uh keyed up uh, heart racing um sweating a little bit more than usual you can have stomach problems mm-hmm. you know upset stomach uh, or the opposite you can have constipation as well yeah. um and <laughs> you know maybe feeling a little shaky And so I think of those things as being more tied to anxiety. The um, ADHD, the the crossover often comes because the person with ADHD becomes anxious because, you know, there are things happening, um, you know, maybe at work, they're having a hard time staying on top of things or their partner bothering them about stuff and getting on them about things or they're forgetting things and it makes them makes them nervous so they can develop anxiety and there's also another uh, form of anxiety which is OCD which is also major league overlap with ADHD which is somebody who and it sounds kind of weird but you can be you know, have ADHD and uh, space out or be impulsive, but you might sometimes also become obsessive compulsive and quite perfectionistic. And that's an anxiety disorder as well. So all three yeah. of these things overlap. And I know that, you know, there's some discussion about maybe there's a spectrum mm. of symptoms, uh, you know, from anxiety disorders to ADHD to even autism Mm So, mm -hmm. so where somebody is on that spectrum, everybody's going to be a little different.
1: Yeah. I think the more we learn, the more we realize just how complex the brain is. So you talk about some of these symptoms of ADHD, the inattentiveness kind of spacing out. um, And then of course, on the other side, someone who's a little impulsive and hyperactive it can be really hard for people to be in a relationship with someone who has some of these kinds of symptoms. Can you talk a little bit about what comes up in your office? And I can certainly share what comes up in mine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. So so sometimes um, with couples, they come in and it's the partner who is like at the end of their rope and they'll describe things like, Um, And they may not say, you know, they may not say they have ADHD, but they start complaining about things. You know what, they have projects all over the house that they never finish anything, they just go from project to project. And it drives me nuts because you know there's there's projects undone or the uh, electricity got turned off because they forgot to pay a bill or they didn't mail something or um uh or, or they're always late to everything you know, they're just like really annoyed with their partner there's a lot of annoyance mm-hmm. and unfortunately often or fortunately maybe sometimes you get like Somebody who's uh, kind of perfectionistic, a little bit OCD, um, being drawn to somebody with ADHD. The mm-hmm. person who's kind of perfectionistic, who likes the creativity and the liveliness of the person with ADHD. The person with ADD. I just keep saying ADHD, but you know it could be ADD. You know, really likes to be grounded by the person who's more perfectionistic and on top of things, but eventually it wouldn't like it, the charm wears off. Oh yeah. I can
1: definitely see how there would be an initial draw for, each person in that kind of relationship and how over time it could be a major source of conflict, right? Because yeah, I think you highlighted something and that is that a lot of ADHD people are very creative and can seem very exciting because they have a lot of things that they're thinking about at any given time. And I think that can be a huge draw for people, but then when you're living under the same roof potentially and trying to share household, chores suddenly you realize there's just like you said unfinished projects or piles of things everywhere that go unfinished and that can end up being really frustrating right and so I think some of these quirks can deepen into resentments and I've certainly worked with couples where that feeds into their desire to have sex because it gets to the point where they feel like the person who doesn't have adhd is the one who ends up having to finish everything and a lot of the burden ends up being one that they shoulder and they're the ones that have to you know especially when they have kids potentially and then they're the ones that have to you know keep the kids organized and the household organized and they start resenting their partner who is very disorganized and over time that can be kind of a libido killer. What has your experience been with that? Oh,
0: definitely. It you know yeah. it becomes a big turn off. And yet the person now again you know the person with ADHD, a person who is um, kind of forgetful, spaced out. They sometimes tend to have a low drive as well, right? Because they're they're having a really hard time just staying on top of things. Sometimes the person who is more hyperactive, they have a high drive. So then you, you know, and then with all these other things going on, you can really have kind of a, kind of a mismatch Mm -hmm. on multiple levels for couples like this. And they really struggle it's really, yeah, it's
1: really rough for them. Yeah. So people like what you're saying, people who have more of the inattentive type where there's just difficulty focusing may end up having a lower desire for sex because they have a hard time getting into it. They find that their mind starts to wander. And um, I think those kinds of people can even get, it can get very easily distracted by different sensory systems. So if they're touched in a specific way, just something that's very subtle to one person may completely throw them off. And that can be very frustrating versus people who have more the hyperactive type. Sometimes they can have even higher libido because they're, they're thinking creatively all the time. And sometimes these people can be the ones that keep the sex exciting because they're thinking of different things that they might try with their partner. And so there can be, I think, depending on the type, some benefit if there's not too big of a mismatch with the partner who doesn't have ADD.
0: Yes, yes. And I think sometimes the person who's more hyperactive will complain of boredom. They get bored in the bedroom and then they kind of lose their interest Sometimes they get into a little trouble <laughs> because yeah. they're impulsive. So mm. you know, they're seeking some gratification elsewhere. I don't want to say, oh, that's all, you know, all people with ADHD who are um, uh, inattentive are at risk for that. But, you know, that does happen. I think there is a little bit more of a risk because of the impulsivity as well. So boredom and impulsivity can lead to problems, mm-hmm. inattentiveness. And, and lack of initiative in the uh, more, the inattentive type, that can lead to a different set of problems. Yeah.
1: So what is your best advice to couples who may be struggling with ADHD being a factor in their relationship and just in terms of the relationship dynamic itself?
0: Yeah. So one thing is, you know, first of all, the person who does not have, both of them need to educate themselves. Yeah, that's huge. They need to understand that this is kind of like a a, a glitch in the neurology, in the brain, you know, in the the, uh, systems of the brain, the the systems that keep us paying attention Um, and being able to switch attention on and off appropriately. And uh, not to, there should not be any finger pointing. I mean, this would be like somebody, say somebody has diabetes and now, you know, they have to really like change their diet in some way. Well, the partner who doesn't have diabetes can't, you know, can't get like indignant and say, what do you mean we have to change our diet? Right. That's terrible. Um, So they, they both need to educate themselves and understand what it is and, and what it isn't as well, you know, it is something that can be managed, right? It, it's not like a uh, something, you know, again, it's kind of like diabetes, you know, you can take medication or you can take, you know, manage it with diet and exercise. There are different things that you can do. So yeah. I think that's really important.
1: And um, I like, if I may, I like that you bring up how important it is that the partner without ADHD responds compassionately and is part of the treatment. Because a lot of times people who have ADHD are already, we've talked about anxious, they can become very self-conscious. And so if they're constantly feeling badgered by their partner because they're quote unquote, not trying hard enough. I think that's what a lot of people think. If you would just try harder, this wouldn't be a problem. And they may be really doing the best that they can. And for them to, for that to not be recognized by the other person can be a major blow to self-esteem and ego, which then only exacerbates the problem or adds more problems.
0: Absolutely. All that conflict is not good for your sex life, No, not that blaming and low self. Esteem steam and definitely not romantic, not, not sexy. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say is a reasonable expectation?
1: Let's say when it comes to something specific, like finishing household tasks, you know, when you're living with someone with ADHD, how can people negotiate
0: what gets done?
1: What is a reasonable expectation to have? Well, I,
0: I, I, one thing that I, I think has worked is of figuring out the strengths of the person with ADHD and using them. So what what are the tasks that they would find? It's not that the person without ADHD should take on all of the certain kinds of tasks, but what are the ones that they're more likely to finish? And I also recommend that they, excuse me, that they schedule things on their phone, they write things down, and maybe as a couple, they sit down once a week and they go through what are the things that need to get done, and assign them in some way that is equitable, uh, and what are the things that the person with ADHD or ADD is likely to complete, well, like aim for success. Right. Right. And now a quick break for
1: a word from our sponsors. Is emotional and physical intimacy a challenge in your relationship? Do you long for the feeling you had in the honeymoon phase? You're not alone. I've created a tried and true method for reinvigorating your relationship. My private online workshop takes an innovative yet scientifically based approach to teaching you the tools to cultivate passion and create connection that lasts. Visit emilyjamia.com workshop for your free trial. I am so confident that you'll have a positive outcome that I've created a 100% money-back guarantee. You really have nothing to lose. And if that's not reason enough, subscribers to my podcast get 50% off. Subscribe to the show and use code off at checkout. Offer expires at the end of the week. Visit emilyjamia.com workshop today. And now back to the episode. Yeah. And maybe lower the bar a little bit. I think sometimes we have unrealistic expectations. And like you were saying, I I love the diabetes analogy because it's just not something that a lot of people can help like any medical or mental diagnosis. Sometimes these things just happen, but I think There's obviously still so much stigma when it comes to mental health and the diagnosis of mental health problems. And so um, I do think it's really important that people see use the medical model when formulating their expectations and negotiating contributions.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think too the 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 other thing though is the person with ADHD, and I heard you say, you know, maybe they're trying the best that they can. Well, yes, that's true. They may be trying the best that they can, but there may be things that they need to, other things that they need to try, other tools that they need to incorporate into their day, into their week to keep them organized. I think that if you're in a relationship, uh, like it or not, you have a responsibility to like bring your best self into the relationship. And that means... All of us doesn't matter, doesn't matter if you have a diagnosis, whatever it is, that we, we try, it. we really try to do our best and we try to improve too. Right. Oh, no. Right. Right. You know, we can use our relationship as a way to kind of understand ways in which maybe we could be doing better. Everybody. Yeah. So you know, it's right. Playing. I think
1: mm-hmm. I think it's important to remember you know, balance in my opinion is not something that's just struck. And then you have a set it and forget it mentality about, I mean, it is this very dynamic process and life is going to throw things totally off balance. And so I think it's really, I think what you said, when couples can come together once a week and talk about what needs to get done that week, what their goals are, what maybe they've noticed the other partner is lagging or slacking on a little bit that they may need to pay more attention to in the upcoming weeks. Those ongoing conversations are going to be really important. Yes.
0: And the other partner needs to watch how critical they're being, how they're giving feedback. Maybe, you know, can they hold on, like kind of learn to hold on to something that is frustrating until they can sit down and not just, you know, constantly nag or, you know, I I get it. I mean, yeah, I, I'm such a proponent
1: of that. I mean, even my husband and I, we try to do like weekly check-ins with each other because there might be something that came up on a Thursday that if I just table for, you know, 24 hours, I, I might not really need to bring that up in the <laughs> Sunday check-in. But if I had brought it up right then and there, it could have come across as nagging when really it wasn't that big of a deal. So I love that. And I think it really helps both people come into the conversation prepared to have that conversation, right? Which means defenses are less likely to go up, we're more likely to be responsive as opposed to reactive and the conversation ends up being a lot more productive at the end of the day.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Now, (laughs) what about sex specifically? What advice would you give to someone who has ADHD so that they can focus more on the sexual
0: experience? Uh, So again, you know, we have the two types. The one who is a little more hyperactive, a little more on, uh, they, well, actually, I'm going to say both types can benefit from novelty. Okay. Like the, that person with ADD or ADHD enjoy usually enjoys novelty. It's one of the things that does make them creative and fun to be around because they're up for trying new things. They're looking for stimulation, things that are stimulating to them, and that that could mean bringing in new toys, or it could mean bringing in um, uh, uh, just even changing the lighting in the room, or the music that's on, or something you know, something, or doing it in a different room of the house or, you know. Yeah. (laughs) Right. It can be changing things in all kinds of ways. So that I think is a number one tip is to uh, keep sex from being boring. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: And I really like how you're pointing out that that can benefit the person with inattentiveness as well. So I do a lot of research and reading on the relationship between flow and sexual satisfaction. And one of the components of flow is having just the right balance of challenge to skills. right? So there's like a 4% difference you wanna aim for. And the research shows, and there isn't a whole lot of research on this specifically in sex, but in other activities, when something is just a little bit outside your skill set, it narrows your focus. You have to focus because it's a little bit different, and so I can see how that might really help someone who has the inattentive type draw their attention in. And I think,
0: um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing too is um, the the uh, something that I've suggested. Uh, the person with an attentive type. Sometimes if the, if the partner can narrate what they're doing, mm-hmm. you know, now I'm doing this, now I'm doing that, I'm going to do this. You know, there's something about it that helps them stay focused and in the moment. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, I mentioned music, but I'll mention it again. I've had a lot of people say that having music helps them focus, it helps them let go if they're kind of anxious as well, or, Mm -hmm. you know, keyed up or whatever's going on that, you know, get music uh, to kind of match where it is that you want to be.
1: Yeah. I like that. And I I do see the importance of involving different sensory systems. Like I have this candle that I burn in my office and I always get the same candle. It's my office scent candle. And then I have a different candle I burn when I'm writing something and that like focuses my attention on writing. And so I I can see how that might also help someone who has trouble focusing.
0: Definitely. Yeah. I think also like things like time of day timing, Mm -hmm. you know, some people I think everybody can kind of benefit from that. <laughs> you know, when, when is my drive a little higher or when do I have a little more energy for sex? Definitely. I
1: think that's something all couples need to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, focusing during sex is not just a problem for people who have ADHD. It is a problem for all kinds of people. And I think just because of how we live our lives these days, we're multitasking all of the time. And it's hard for us to focus on any one thing. And this is something that I noticed come up just almost on a daily basis in my practice. And so I was going to write a blog about it and decided to reach out to the first sex therapist supervisor I had, Ruth Sherman. I don't know if she was around when you got into the field, but at the time she was my supervisor, this would have been 15 years ago, Um, she had retired from doing sex therapy. And so 15 years ago, you know, we had smartphones, but it was not like it is today with all of the apps and the social media wasn't as big as it is now. And I wanted to talk to her about what her experience was when she was working with couples, and if this issue of focus came up for her as much as it did for me, and I sent her an email and I, I told her my question. We have we had a conversation about a week later, and she said, "You know, I've been thinking about this a lot, and certainly we had the erection watchers or the people who maybe were distracted by their body image." But she said, "What you're describing in this like never ending running to do list that people have in their head during sex," she said i don't really remember that you know and i'm curious to hear your thoughts on that because i do think that we're like i think it's this multitasking that's what i ended up writing the blog about we're we're splitting attention all of the time right it's very rare that we're doing one thing at a time and sex is an activity where hopefully you don't have your phone you're not checking your phone or an email or you're not going to get interrupted with something and you're trying to focus on the physical sensations the emotional experience and you want to be zeroed in on that but that's just really hard for people what are your thoughts
0: yeah it well yes it definitely can be difficult um i think i think just just the Just the phone itself is such a distraction. It splits our attention all the time. Um, And, you know, it's not just our to-do list. It's also our relationships um, and worrying about managing our our, our social persona all the time. (laughs) Totally. totally. How are people perceiving us? You know, how am I interacting with people? We're interacting with each other a lot, right? Even with right. the pandemic, I found myself on, I was kind of like on Facebook a lot. It's like, yeah. this is weird. I'm usually not on Facebook, but you know, that was how I got my, right? So right. we're, we're, so Halliwell wrote a book, um, quite famous book called Driven to Distraction about. ADHD and ADHD, and I think about that like, gosh, that was kind of prescient. I mean, I think we're all kind of. I know, I know. You're the
1: describing stuff. the symptoms at the beginning of the talk, and I'm like,
0: check, check, check. <laughs> yeah, 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 I think yeah. that's true. You know, so so being able, I think we, everybody, but especially people with ADD, uh, and especially. Um, uh, inattentive type, and I remember some people get hyper focused. Right, that's what I right. do. Mm-hmm. You know, like you get, you're, you're, you're um, you know, you're playing a video game, and you, you're never going to stop because right. you were just in it. But I think really everybody can benefit from having some kind of practice or some, some time either during the day or during the week where we slow down and we reflect or we quiet our mind i know for me it's yoga i became a yoga teacher during the pandemic oh you did, How interesting. did I'm good for you and <laughs> online now so. yeah that is awesome you know so i recommend yoga a lot i think yoga is good for people with ADD, adhd because you know it's a, it, there's movement with it and i think you know for some people is just sitting and meditating will make them nuts yeah, so that's hard you know doing um a, like a movement and then a short period of meditation afterwards when you're a little bit tired can be really helpful mm-hmm.
1: yeah, I like that and yeah i th- I think I'm with you, I think for all of us, we just need to. Structure. I really think on a daily basis, a period of time where the phone goes on flight mode and we just focus on whatever it is we're doing in that moment. I mean, even at the beginning of the podcast, I'm thinking, "Oh my gosh, did I silence my phone?" So I'm reaching over here to make sure that my phone is turned off. Just knowing that we might get interrupted with a ping or a ding is enough oh, yes. to keep us distracted. And so, uh, I really think for whether you have ADHD or not, having unstructured or having periods of time where you're just disconnected from technology and doing something like a mindfulness meditation or a yoga practice can have huge benefit. And especially so for people who have ADHD, what about medications? Because a lot of medications can have sexual side effects and there are a lot of ADHD medications on the market. What do you see in terms of, you know, a, the effectiveness of those for people and b any potential sexual side effects they might have?
0: you know what, the, they're, they're, they uh, are stimulants, and if they're taken correctly, uh, they should not have negative sexual side effects. In fact, they could have some benefit. I've had clients who've said that um, they'd like to have sex when they're on their medication because it does help them to focus and stay yes. present and in the moment and connected to their partner and able to make eye contact and or able to keep their mind from straying away. And yeah, so I, I, it's not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, I'm not gonna recommend well, you know, if you can't stay focused, take some Adderall, you <laughs> know? Right. That, you know, but I, I, I don't think, um, I don't think that it's going to be harmful uh, sexually. Now what can happen is that you know we talked about overlap between generalized anxiety, also depression because you know there's feelings of inadequacy. Uh, you know, I can't keep up with my peers or my coworkers. Uh, everybody's always getting upset with me and I'm not uh, a worthwhile person. There can be depression. So often people are on some kind of antidepressant medication and we know those for sure can cause sexual side effects. So if that happens, you really need to talk to the person who's prescribing and see about getting a change in medication or lowering the dose. Don't let that go on and on. You know, yeah, it's right. not a good idea.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, I think it's important for people to remember always talk to your doctor about side effects of any medication you're taking. But yeah, we know, particularly drugs that treat depression and anxiety, can unfortunately be loaded with sexual side effects. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So you wrote another book recently. Can you tell people about your book
0: and where they can find it and learn yes. more about you? Oh, oh yes. Thank you. Um, so the, the most recent is what every mental health professional needs to know about sex. The third edition came out just a couple of weeks ago. I'm yes. really excited about it. You now The first edition came out uh, let's see, so f- five years ago, second edition, I guess like seven, eight years ago, and it, it really needed to be updated. I mean, so much has changed about our understanding of sexuality, um, you know, and being inclusive, uh, and more research is available on certain kinds of sexual behaviors. Uh, things have changed a lot. And so I went to my publisher and I said, you know what? It's time to really dig in and update this book. I went through every (laughs) like every word, every single word, I said, okay, is this still true? Is this still true? Looked up tons of research, information, tried to get everything as accurate as I possibly could and put out a new edition. So I'm I'm really excited about it. I think for anyone listening who is a Uh, any kind of mental health provider or even um, a nurse or nurse practitioner who works in uh, some kind of setting where people do have sexual effects from their illnesses or something of that nature, um, this is a really helpful book. It's a really good place to start
1: Yeah. Well, thank you on behalf of the mental health community for (laughs) writing this book and for updating it. I mean, it's still just mind-boggling to me how even, you know, master's programs in marriage and family therapy don't require a course on sexuality, let alone just general
0: counseling programs. And so understand. I mean, really, I think, I think it was something, I mean, it's really low, something like 16% of mft programs require a course like, i know That's what crazy but, but then like a hundred percent of people have questions about sex yeah i mean you know maybe you don't have sexual dysfunction but maybe you have a question about what's normal or a change that happened it doesn't have to be like a big a big problem like a erectile dysfunction right. it can just be like okay i just had a baby and i don't know what's normal in terms of getting back on track or something about my body change or something about my partner's body change yeah time. totally so, you know, totally so people have questions
1: yeah well thank you i know that you know I've, I've gotten other books that you've written and they are all wonderful so thank you so much for your contributions oh, and where can people
0: you. find the book and Learn more
1: about you and your practice.
0: Yeah. So um, the book uh, is really two places. One is the Springer website. Now, there are two Springer publishing companies. Okay. <laughs> so one has a little horse. That's not the one I'm with. The other has like a little person going spring. <laughs> okay. that's, that's the one I'm with. It's Springer Publishing. Uh, so it's on the website. Um, the other place I send people to is Amazon, of course. Um, I think if you go to the Springer website though, uh, if you are a first time buyer, you can sign up and get 25% off, which is good discount. Nice. Mm-hmm. The other thing too is to ask, the library like it from your alumni association you know textbooks are expensive so i yeah. think like um you know i'm an alum of pepperdine university i'm gonna get in touch with them and say you know what you need to have a copy so that students can access it and read it so right. that would be another way and uh the other thing too is that you can rent it off of amazon i don't think but oh, nice. it oh, well. it's affordable yeah
1: it's good to know it's an option.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, well, thank you so much for joining me today. I think this was an interesting conversation, of course, and something a lot of people will probably be able to relate to. And hopefully everyone learns something about themselves or their partner um, through what we discussed today. So thank you very much.
0: You're welcome. And thank you for having me. All right. Until next time.
1: Thanks again for listening to Love & Libido with me, your host, Dr. Emily Jamia. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe and drop me a five-star review. Share with a friend who might find it interesting. As much as we can learn from experts, nothing makes us feel more connected than hearing from each other. If you have a story that relates to today's episode, or just a general question about sex or your relationship, visit loveandlibido.com, and I'll share it on an upcoming episode. Be sure to visit my website emilyjamia.com to see my latest blogs and to check out my online workshop. Subscribers to my podcast. Podcast can use code half off. Finally, you can follow me across all the social media channels for daily sex and relationship tips at Dr. Emily Jamia. Thank you so much for tuning in.